Good morning. Uh, today's first scripture reading uh, will be in Romans 10, beginning in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And we will continue in uh, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing all, but, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Thank you, Tyler. Please hold your place there in Titus chapter 2. A grand opening always comes with a good amount of nerves, whether it's a store, or whether it's a restaurant, or whether it's a museum, or whether it's a school. Anytime something is open, there's so many unknowns of like, how, how's all this going to work? How is it going to be received? Is, it, is the idea going to land? What will people think of it? What, will it be a success or, or won't it? And when the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, when that message goes forward to someone new, or when it goes to a place where it's just not that well known that Jesus Christ lived and died for our sins, sometimes it's the same, same questions as like, how will that be received? How will it be received when someone hears the good news of Jesus for the first time? How will the story of Jesus Christ land? Will it be received as like, this is the truth. I ought to believe this. Will it be received as something good? Will it be received as like something really, really relevant for someone's life? Of course, on one hand, we know what the Bible teaches us is that God is always at work doing things we can't see, working on people's heart, convicting them, opening their eyes to see the truth about who, who Jesus Christ is. So we know that on one hand. On the other hand, as humans, we just don't know all the ways in which God's working. So when the, the gospel, the message of the good news goes, sometimes we wonder, like, how is this going to be received? How is this going to be taken so many of the books in the Bible tell us something really, really important. It tells the story of the, the first Christian churches. And what we see in their lives is that this message of good news that we've sung about, our, we've sung about our Savior's love for us, that, that the message 
while it is supremely valuable, everything that surrounds that message matters as well. Everything that goes along with that message being declared also matters. If maybe analogy helps, think of a a painting or a work of art, a picture, a portrait, a museum piece or display. And that's the treasure. But often that painting has a frame around it. Often that painting, if you go to a museum or a gallery, often you're going you're gonna to see that and there's going to be certain lighting that are, that's going to draw your attention to certain things. And, and there's going to be a certain way that display is, is crafted together to get your eyes looking and enjoying not, not the painting, not the lighting, but actually the, the picture, actually the portrait, actually the work of art, actually the display itself. And, the, and there's settings that could enhance that and then there are ways in which you could... You could put a beautiful painting in such an awful setting that it would detract, it would take it away. It would take away from the beauty of the painting. I want us today to think about what surrounds the message of Jesus Christ. So if that, the message of Christ is like the painting, what frames it? What gives lighting to it? What is the background and the display and the setting that says this is, this is something supremely valuable? And I think as we work our way through Titus chapter 2, you'll see what actually God intends to frame this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you're new to the Bible, or if you just haven't read Titus in a while, which may be many of us, the book of Titus is a book that is written because the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, has landed on the island of Crete. There have been messengers that have gone all over this Mediterranean island sharing the good news about who Jesus is, and lots of people have trusted in Jesus. They've heard a message. They've heard a message that there is a God who loves, he's created everything, and he's created even people to experience his love. They've heard a message that God also sent his son, the son that had been promised as the Messiah, to come into this world and restore a relationship that had been broken because of sin. The people on the island of Crete had heard, had heard that God's son in the flesh was named Jesus. And he lived and he died and he was buried and he rose again, victorious. They had heard this message. They had heard the call to place their faith in Jesus Christ, that all authority is in him and he is meant to be everybody's Lord and Savior. That's who he should be worshipped as. So they've heard this message that one day this Savior, Jesus Christ, will come back and set the world right the way it should be. And until then, we wait. They heard that message and they repented and they trusted and they followed Jesus. They obeyed him. But what would help or what would cause others on the island of Crete to believe the message as well? So I'm probably looking out at many, many people here who have trusted in Jesus Christ, but, but actually, how many people do you think are there in our area, in our state, in our nation, in our world that do not know Christ? So here we are. We have a message that people need to know and need to hear, but what will frame that message out? You see, when people hear the message, they begin to ask questions like, I mean, question number one is like, you talk about Jesus Christ, is that true? 
Or is that just a myth? Is that just a fable? But I think as we share a message of hope in Jesus Christ, there's also other questions like, okay, you you talk about Jesus and all that, but is that really relevant to where I am living? I mean, if I believe this, if I follow this, does it really even matter? What difference does it make? Okay, let's say, say for the sake of argument, I believe Jesus died on the cross for sins. What difference does that make in my life on Monday or Tuesday? That's a fair question. Is it that relevant? Will it help me find meaning in life? Will it help me find purpose in life? I mean, we might ask the question, is, are you, is there any real difference in believing in Jesus or believing in myself or believing in just a generic higher power or believing in belief? Is there really a difference? Are you saying that that makes a difference? Are you saying that believing in Jesus can actually be something that's better? I could make better decisions. I could have a better life. I could have better relationships. Is there something better that Jesus Christ offers? And what will help the people on the island of Crete and what would help the people in Newark, Delaware today is actually that message that we have framing it very, very well. So Paul reaches out to a church leader named Titus who had influence on the believers in Crete, and he writes this in verse 1 of chapter 2. Tyler read it a moment ago. Paul says to Titus, as for you, you teach what goes along with sound doctrine. And then he starts naming out categories, generations here. So verse 2, he says, older men, this is the way they should live. They should be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So probably you have translations that say different things. But then he he also talks to the older women in verse 3. He says, older women likewise, they're to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves or addicts to much wine. They're to teach what is good and train young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. And then he says this phrase, and I want you to notice, he, he does this three times in 10 verses. He ends this, that the older women are supposed to be living this way, and the younger women are supposed to be living this way, so that the word of God may not be reviled, may not be blasphemed, may not be maligned, people, so that people would not have an opportunity to go, are you serious? He's talking about living in such a way that God's message is not spoken of in an evil way. Paul has a concern, as one writer put it, that if Christians don't live in a certain way, then people will think, you know what, Christianity just makes people worse, not better. And its message, it's not just useless, it's bad. Paul is telling Titus to tell the people of Crete, the believers there in Crete, you ought to live in such a way that the word of God isn't maligned, isn't reviled. Misconduct on the part of Christians would cause non-Christians to speak ill of the gospel. Keep reading. Look at verse 6. So he begins to address another group of people. He says, also urge the younger men, urge them to be self-controlled, and Titus, you yourself ought to show, you show, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, you show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that, and here it is again. So previously it was so that the word of God may not be reviled. Here it's so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say 
about us. Paul encourages Titus to be a model of good works and integrity and sound speech because he knows there are people that are looking to find fault with Christianity. There are people that are looking to say, "Ah, I knew that's that's the way all Christians are. They talk this, but they don't walk the talk ever. He says, you live in such a way where you don't give someone the opportunity to do that. How you live matters with the message that you're trying to give and you're trying to share. How you live makes a difference. Your conduct makes a difference. I don't think Paul's naive. I think Paul, by his own experience, would realize that just because Titus lives a good life, it doesn't mean that he'll never be opposed. I don't think Paul's naive. I think I think he realizes there's always going to be people that point the finger at Christians and say, they're bad people. See, they're bad people. He knows that. I think what he's saying to Titus is like, well, let's not give him any ammunition now. I mean, if people are going to say what they're going to say, and there's lots of that that we cannot help, but let's not help someone's cause in discrediting this message of Jesus Christ. And then, and then you keep reading in verse 9, he speaks to a group that is not in a, like an upper crust level of society. I don't know, it says, it says like maybe a quarter to a third of people at this time would in some point in their life be a bondservant. So he says bondservants ought to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but, but able to be trusted, showing all good faith. So that, and here the phrase is, it's similar again, right? So that in everything, they might actually adorn. And the word, it, it, we get an English word like cosmetic from this. Might adorn the gospel, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Might beautify it, might make it look enhance its beauty, what already is there, that by living in this way, you would enhance, you would enhance the message. The lives of believers wouldn't detract or take away anything. So as you walk through, we just review a second here. Titus is on the island of Crete, and there's a few believers, but by no means the whole island, and Titus is, part of his job is to establish churches on this island, how can the message of Jesus get out? So our, our series is like, we must go. And that's true. We must go. We must share. We must let others know. But, but there's something else. How are we going to live as we are going? How are we going to live in such a way that people don't have an opportunity to revile the word? How are we going to live in such a way where, where people won't have something negative to say? How are we going to live in such a way that we adorn the teaching of God who is our Savior? How are we going to live in such a way that it opens the door for questions to be asked? How are we going to live? How are you going to live in such a way that you're different, different enough for someone to say, I don't even know that I have a category for this kind of person. They walk the walk. Or, or when they look at your life, they say, you know what? The world would be a better place if there were more people like that. You're just walking out your Christian faith. You're just living as a disciple of Jesus. But others notice and they say, man, the world needs more of that. Or, or maybe it even gets 
more internal. It's like, you know what? What they have is what I've been needing and what I've been looking for for a long time. They seem to have peace and hope. They seem to live their life in a way that I've been, I, I really feel like I need to live my life that way. We could highlight so many things that a Christian could do to make it clear that this message that we have is an amazing thing, a beautiful thing. But I just want to highlight a couple. One way we adorn the good news of Jesus is when we live a life of consistent integrity. So I am, again, I know I'm looking at a a large number of people that we go out and we work with people that don't yet know Christ, that maybe don't have much time for Christianity, or they may tip their hand to their, their, their hat to religion, but they really have nothing that has changed their life. And as I read Titus 2, I see one thing that will make a difference is consistent integrity. In verse 2, Titus says to be sober and dignified and self-controlled and steadfast. In verse 3, don't be, don't be slanderous, but be reverent. In verse 5, be self-controlled and pure. In verse 6, be self-controlled. In verse 7, have integrity and, and, and dignity. In verse 10, don't steal, but show good faith. The word self-control comes up again and again and again. And so let me just remind us, as the people of God who say we follow Jesus Christ, part of following Jesus Christ means that there is a control in our lives. There is a self-control that says we are consistent when it comes to our integrity. Think about what we're saying when we are self-controlled. When we are self-controlled, it is saying there are greater reasons to say no than to take the easier way and just do what we want. We could follow that path. We could do just whatever felt good in the moment. We could do whatever just impulse we had in the moment. But instead, we deny ourselves those because we say there is something greater. And Paul says again and again, one way you are going to mark out there is a difference. One way you are going to frame the gospel well of this message of Jesus Christ. One way you are going to frame this tomorrow in your school, tomorrow in your neighborhood, this afternoon at the park. One way you're going to frame this, one way we frame this is by being a person of consistent integrity. When we say no to inappropriate relationships with people that are not our spouse, when we say no to flirting because we're saying yes to a greater joy and that is being faithful to the covenant vows we made, we are saying no, we're being self-controlled and we're not doing that out of fear only. We're doing this because of a greater joy, because we have a greater master that we're trying to please. When we say no to something and, and maybe we're, we're, we're on the road and we're traveling and no one would ever know and we're in the privacy or so we think of it's just us and our laptop or wherever we want to go and no one would ever notice, no one would ever see, no one would ever know. But when we, when we say no to that, we're saying there's something, something more valuable than just doing in this moment something that I want to do. There's something greater. There's something more valuable. When we say no to cheating, despite the fact that, like, everybody in our class is cheating. When we say no to that urge to just, like, make life a little bit easier by getting this grade, we're showing something. We're showing, you know what, I, I, I'm different because there's something more important to me, and that is that I have a God of truth who never deals in lies. Even in the relationship of bondservant to master, the Christian does everything they can to show good faith. When we say no to drinking 
and addictions because we, won't, we don't want to be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit of God. When we say no to yet another toy or another hobby that's going to only feed our greed and pull our hearts away, when we say no to that, God is doing something on the inside of us, and it is, it is also broadcasting. There are some things worth just saying no to. Certainly evil things, but even good things. There's something worth just saying no to. I don't have to have that because, because I have a different master in my life. Are we those marked out? Are, are, are we different there? As a matter of fact, Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God has appeared and it has taught us. God's grace has taught us to say no. Life isn't a playground. That's why over and over again, it's, it's not a joke. It's not something that we can just like use our time and it doesn't really matter because it's all kind of one big game anyway. Scripture never presents it that way. I have to wonder the person that's watching you, watching you deal honestly at a company, watching you not be two-faced, watching you say one thing in one person's presence and also say the exact same thing in another person's presence. Someone's watching you and they're watching your life. They're watching what jokes you laugh at, what jokes you tell, what things entertain you. They're watching, they're watching. In one way, we make a clear difference and say, you know what, this message is so amazing. It's not by being some pious, sanctimonious person, but it is by saying, we say no to some things because we've said yes to him and he makes all the difference to us. Another way, another way we can frame this message of Jesus Christ is that we can live a life not just of consistent integrity, but also sacrificial service. I, I read in this passage, like Paul talks about older men being sound and healthy in love, and older women teaching what is good, and younger women being loving and kind, and Titus being a model of good works, and even servants being submissive and not argumentative. And all that points us out. So you want to know how Christians can frame the message and say, Jesus Christ makes a difference? It isn't necessarily by turning up the volume and saying it louder. One thing that accompanies the gospel, the good news of Jesus, one thing that accompanies that is when we serve, and we serve, and we serve, and we serve, and we're not flashy about it. We're not like signaling everybody, look at me, look at me. I'm just a, I'm just a servant here, but we just do it in so many ways. Service looks like a life of kindness, showing kindness especially when it's undeserving. Service looks like sometimes really hard work because you, you get in the middle of it and you're like, that's not what I expected. And the idealism gets pulled off. And you see, like, difficult people for what they are. And that's difficult people, like we all are. And, and you want to quit, but you don't. You, you continue to serve. You think other people don't notice that and watch that. Service, sacrificial service, looks like a life of forgiveness when you don't keep score. You don't keep that record of wrongs. Bringing up yet again for about the millionth time. Remember that, that was, there was that time last March when you did what... You drop that, and people notice. Or, or a life of humility. You don't always have to be recognized. You don't always have to be the one that like, gets credit for everything and none of the blame, but you are the person that is willing to take responsibility, willing even to share credit. Do you think people notice that? 
Do you think people notice when you show up and you ask the question, like, how, how are things going? You've been on my mind a lot. When you send those texts and when you don't just send them once, but you send them regularly and you are known as a person in a network of relationships, as a person that deeply, deeply cares. A life of perseverance when you show up again and again, you're saying, you know what you're saying? I know some of this is so basic, but you're saying this is what Jesus Christ looks like. This just is framing out the picture. It's hard for me to think of anything more basic than integrity and service. I feel like that could be any like corporate motto anywhere. But when Christians do it with the power of the Holy Spirit and the heart of Jesus Christ, even people that have no time for Christianity look and go, what is going on? The premise of the Bible is that messengers are going to take the announcement of good news, but something is going to accompany it. So yes, you're meant to be a messenger. But something's going to ride alongside that. And I believe that what rides alongside of it matters more than we realize. I was thinking this week, maybe this is just in my head. But I do have to wonder. I do have to wonder if somewhere right now there is a businessman and you work with him. And on the surface, it seems like he has no time for your Christianity but he works with you and he's worked with you for a while and you're an honest Christian. And you don't make stuff up. And you don't fudge anything. The way you treat people is right. The way you treat men, the way you treat women, it's right. He's, he notices that you're faithful. You show up. You don't complain. You don't compromise. You can be trusted. You don't cut corners. You are loyal. You work hard. You're humble. You make others look good. And, and maybe right now he has no time, but maybe in 2020... There will be something that will stop him dead in his tracks. And he opens his eyes up and realizes that he needs more than what he has. Maybe he has no time for you now, but maybe in a couple of years there will be time. And at that time, what if he's at a family gathering for Thanksgiving and he's talking to a relative who's a believer and that relative begins to talk more and tells them of the hope that they have because they found Jesus Christ. And, and he begins to remember what it was like to work side by side for 10 years with a Christian who had integrity, who did things right every single day. And, and, and he knows there's something different about that person. And now that must be it. And now he has all the time in the world to listen. And he bows his head and trusts in Jesus Christ as his Savior. You know what? His story, his story is going to go something like, you know what? I worked with this Christian for a long time and I, I just didn't have any time for it. But there came a time where I had time for it. Or I can't help but wonder if there's an international student and she just started ELI or she just started UD and she runs across some friends that open up their homes and let her practice her English and explain customs and point her to help and give her advice and invite her to church and include her in holidays and, and love her for who she is. And years later, you can imagine, a short time in Delaware, years later, She's back in her home country and she somehow, somehow finds a Bible. And she connects that with the meals and the care and the love and the family and the prayers. And she in that moment bows the knee to Jesus and becomes a great evangelist and ministry leader in her church. And she tells her story. You know what her story is going to be? You know, 
I ended up in Delaware, and I met the kindest people I'd ever met. I'd never really known what Christians were like, but I saw them love me. I saw them care for me weekly. Or I have to wonder if somewhere there is a single mom who has an eight-year-old girl, and that mom is trying to do her best. But by God's grace, this eight-year-old girl has a Christian teacher who loves her kid, loves her deeply. And imagine there's a teacher here and another Christian in mom's life who's there for her, listening to her, not judgmental, going out of his way, out of her way to help. And maybe mom just never seems to be able to take this step of faith. It never happens for mom. But imagine that eight-year-old girl watches, like watches this person, watches these people care, watches this teacher's life, knows she's a Christian, knows he's a Christian. Imagine 12 years later, this eight-year-old is now 20 and is in a college ministry or has in college and has a roommate that's part of a college ministry, invites her, and all of a sudden, like, eyes come open. It's like, oh, this, is, this is it. This is what Christians are meant to look like. And she's ready, and it's the right time, and God does a deep, deep work in our life. And life is never the same. What do you think? What do you think that girl's story is going to be? And all I'm saying is that I recognize some of us are really good at verbalizing the gospel, and some of us aren't. And some of us are really good about you know, sharing our faith, and some of us aren't. But I recognize that all of us, all of us can live a life of consistent integrity, that frames out the gospel and says, this message, there's nothing like it. All of us can live lives where we think through, how can we strategically serve others? How can we persevere in that? How can we not quit? And someday you may just have no awareness, but your act of love, your act of sacrificial service, maybe what framed the gospel and made it so compelling. Maybe not even to the person that you showed love to, but maybe to a friend, neighbor that was watching. Church, we must go, but it matters how we go. It matters. It matters. Can I lead us in a prayer that would ask the Lord to help us to live lives of consistent integrity because it matters. It mattered in Titus's day. It matters in ours. Can I, can I lead us in a prayer that would ask the Lord to help us live lives of sacrificial service? Let me do that. Father, we, we know these things. We know it matters how we live, but yet sometimes we forget. Sometimes we turn in, we get selfish. Sometimes our lives are a wreck and they're the furthest thing from being self-controlled. Sometimes we have major integrity issues and we're, hi- we're hiding it. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to bring things to light so that we would walk in truth and walk in holiness, not walk in pretense. Father, help us to be people that use whatever you've given us, whatever you've given us to serve others. Lord, it's so easy. It's so easy to just focus on ourselves, and it's so hard sometimes to think about others. So, Lord, this is absolutely what we need your help for. Call us as a church, Lord, to not just share the gospel with our lips, but to show the good news, what it looks like when it takes shape. I thank you that you've not given us a marketing strategy. 
you've given us a, a real life to live. So, Lord, I pray that we would walk in faithfulness. And, and Lord, we pray that not just this church, but many churches would be filled with people that have trusted in Jesus. And part of the story would be, I saw them walk in integrity and service. Lord, do that. Do that so much is made of Jesus. Do that so that others may see our Heavenly Father and glorify Him. Because we have let our light shine. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.